Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, featuring 2nd Edition AD&D players and DMs option books. In this special series, we are taking a close look at these books that are often considered D&D 2.5 edition. On the third day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me Skills and Powers Part 3, Kits, and then all the other stuff in the book. <laughs> Brandis, yeah, man. how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. Good. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Me too. What do you have to say about Kits? <laughs> so, okay. Uh, Kits started showing up in the, the complete handbook series for all the classes and they didn't I think like how they were shaping up because they worked so differently for so many classes mm-hmm. um, you have uh, the, the complete fighters uh, wizards, priests and um, thieves handbooks and they all kind of work this one way, they're very limited they're very social pillar maybe some exploration pillar uh a couple of the kits are going to be more combat side, but for the most part, not. Um, and they're they're going to be very, very cultural. And then you get into later books, like Complete Paladins and Complete Rangers, and the weirdness and the, the just level of individuation and such really, really scales up sharply. Um, so that you wind up with like a... a Paladin kit about worm slaying. Well, that's obviously rad, and I want to play that. Yes, me too. That is, that, we could have a whole yeah. party of Paladin worm slayers because everybody's going to want to do that. Yeah, I'm down for that campaign, man. I played a, a bunch of Pendragon. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. It's great. But um, that's sort of not the game that D&D is selling. Yeah. And it doesn't fit well sort of conceptually against uh, what's special about your fighter. Well, my fighter is um, uh, uh, an Amazon or a Myrmidon or whatever. Right. Uh, like it, It's a very different conceptual scale. And so they wanted to put everyone on the same schema for, um, for kits. And that's what they do in this book. Uh, there's a very limited set of kits and uh, all or most classes pull from them, and if you sit down and read it, it is this sort of blend of fifth edition um, backgrounds and subclasses, heavily tilted toward backgrounds, and that's kind of interesting. Right. So, just uh, for the audience who may not have a ton of experience with kits in second edition. They instituted uh, what they call the social ranks system, and so they they have everyone determine their social rank, and it tells you about basically what you have access to in terms of um, social graces, and you know whether you're seen as a vagabond, you know, homeless person, <laughs> laborer who who's unskilled, or whether you're seen as you know. Uh, a member of a noble family, a giant landowner, you know, things like that. But then they have these kits. And so let me re- just re- – I'm not going to like talk a ton about these, but let me just read some of these. Okay, there's an acrobat. That's performers of amazing feats. There's the Amazon. 
So amazing rulers, right? You get weapon proficiencies and all this kind of stuff. Then there's animal master, assassin, uh, barbarian, beggar, uh, cavalier, um, diplomat, explorer. Now we're getting into the ones that sound a little more like, you know, fifth edition kind of things. Uh, and then the jester and a merchant and a mariner and a mystic and a noble and a peasant hero and an outlaw. You know, you, you can see sort of actually when you read through these, you definitely see the DNA that made it all the way through the line over to fifth edition because some of these really, are it you know it's it's very very similar to how they instilled backgrounds into fifth edition yeah you really do and i mean some of them are uh, really really on the nose i mean peasant yeah. hero is just is full right. hero yeah. that's the whole idea exactly and and i love that um some of the implementation here though is is real janky Oh, uh, sure. Yes. The implementation, very, very, very – well, so here's the thing though. Um, is the implementation here – is it – sorry for like stepping all over you, but is the implementation no, no here um, – do you think this weakens – You know, if, if I was to pick up one of the – the the um, brown cover, the faux leather cover books, you know, the class books with the kits in it. Is this better or worse than those? If I'm the player, mm. Mm. so so that's uh, so I am going to say that it is largely a wash, slightly tilted in favor of player's option, just because things are a little less broken, but. Um, just just the the additional ability score requirements and some of the armor wearing hindrances and things like that. Just, I, I think they really say odd things about how the game was expected to be mm-hmm. played. Um, and I, I sort of can't get over that. Um, like. Acrobat goes way out of its way to try to limit the armor you're going to wear um, in second edition D and D, which doesn't really want to do that, mm-hmm. and it's sort of s- sort of ugly because the uh, thief class goes so far out of its way to say, "Well, don't wear chainmail." Uh, well, well, okay, except Elven Chain, which is totally <laughs> rad. You should wear that. Uh, if you ever get a chance, well, this leaves that out, and that is sort of an unfortunate choice. And I'm, I'm being really picky here. It's just the rules are really picky. If you look back at the second edition uh, thief class write-up, it's really exacting about you know small bonuses and penalties mm-hmm. for you know no armor. Uh, leather armor, studded leather armor, elven chain, right? right? And so that that sort of doesn't get carried forward here in the right way, is what I guess mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, and um, so there's there's a lot of um, recommended or bonus, excuse me, non weapon proficiencies. Um, it's a it's a big thing, um, and then a lot of the hindrances are uh, penalties reaction roles with this or that kind of person. Um, I mean, 
sure, you say that it's the lower classes who are getting sneered at, the upper classes who are getting performant. I hear that we, we can see which subclasses are the proletariat, which are preparing to rise up, <laughs> and which are the bourgeoisie right. who are going to be thrown down. Right. You know, whichever, whichever, whatever you want to read it. <laughs> right, right. Well, but then you have you have a kit like the scholar, for example, who uh, the social ranks available to a scholar is either upper middle class or upper class. Well, sure, sure, but those are those are students well, who are yeah, yeah. But wait, wait, who are useful so, for so the revolution. Then, so that so that's fine. So that, maybe that, this that is sounds, the wrong podcast. What yeah, am I doing? That sounds like a benefit, right? I don't know, uh, but but the, but this sounds yeah. this sounds like uh, it sounds like a benefit, right? So that's that's a benefit to the scholar. And then it says, oh, well, you have to have a minimum intelligent an intelligence score of thirteen. Okay, fine. And it tells you, um, you know, basically this this kit is very open. It's open to all standard player character races, as well as some odd ones. Um, but uh, the only uh, the only sort of uh, one that is is not possible is you cannot be a fighter and be a scholar. Okay, so fine. Then it has weapon proficiencies, and it's so vague. Those that fit with the scholar's adventuring class. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Uh, and then it says recommended non-weapon sure. proficiencies, and it lists like reading and writing, history, languages, heraldry, astrology, astronomy, herbalism. Remember the two e skill list is like you know not weapon proficiency yeah. engineering gym cutting a religion spellcraft yeah. brewing etiquette musical instrument like it's like oh let's just throw some kitchen sink in there and then it says scholars have to be prepared to record some interesting new bit of knowledge so all scholars must carry quills ink scrolls and a journal or diary okay fine all right we still haven't gotten to any really hard and fast mechanical things other than which you know social rank they'll have and that they have to have a 13 intelligence then we get to recommended traits artistic ability keen eyesight keen hearing precise memory and obscure knowledge and now we're where there's going to be a bonus the benefit is the scholar gets a plus one bonus to either intelligence or wisdom checks the player's choice including proficiency checks based on intelligence or wisdom. The hindrance is scholars spend so much time reading, theorizing, and studying that they suffer when it comes to physical combat. So they suffer a negative one penalty on their initiative rolls when fighting. That's sure. it. <laughs> there's there there's sure. no there are no enormous constraints on there whereas when you look at you know like what you're talking about with the thief and the acrobat and all that and suddenly they're putting all of these constraints about what armor you can wear and what you could possibly do in that armor and all of that and here we have the scholar and it's basically like as long as you're just not a fighter you'll be fine yeah yeah <laughs> it's so weird and so so biased. It drives yeah, me crazy. It's 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 very it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Um, I I actually so it's it's funny and the, the reason I asked the question of you the way I did was because as a DM I like this book better. Uh, because okay. it rounds up everything and it puts them in a nice little package and they're all formatted the same way. And they all, when you go through them, they feel basically balanced, despite the complaint I just made about, you know, 
you know, the, 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 the acrobat and the thief and all that. But, you know, the thief in second edition, they always have these constraints. So, you know, whatever. They, they basically, the, these kits feel basically balanced. Whereas in the little brown books or not, in, the, in the leatherette books, right, the, the players' books with the kits, some of those are so over the top. Right. (laughs) But the thing is, like, from the player (laughs) perspective, I want that. Right. Like, I'm I want that because I want the really cool thing. So the players, you know, in fact, my second edition group, they loved the brown books. They hated this one because they felt like this really undercut a lot of the benefits that they were getting from these specialized kits and that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely more regulated. Right. It it does lack a lot of the the style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, like, I mean, obviously, anyone who reads through the the complete Bard's Handbook is like, yes, Blade, what's yeah, up? Right. Sign me up. Let's do it. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. that's the reaction it it wants you to have. Right. Like, the, the text really does all it can to draw you in right. with that one, and it'd be nice if some of the others were as sort of peppy as that one. <laughs> But like, what needed to happen was not really a depowering of everything. Mm-hmm. They needed to retune everything so that the the fighter kits and the uh, thief kits and the priest kits were as engaging as what came in the later books. Right. And like, it's designed over the span of something like three or four years. So yeah, of course there's there's changes over that mm-hmm. time. Lord knows they repeated that exact pattern with 3.0 and 3.5. Yes, <laughs> and hot tip, fourth edition. Yep. With uh, martial power, uh, arcane power, divine power. Like yeah, that's how it do. That's that's mm-hmm. how design goes as you learn more and more about your system. And you you have some sort of cautious ideas at first, and then as things go on, you are tired of cautious <laughs> ideas. It's it's really that simple. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's why it's really important that in fifth edition, all of the subclasses of the player's handbook came at the same time, and then you get all the Xanathar's ones, which are more wild and exotic. Mm-hmm just just right down the line but they came out very very much at the same time like like all collectively not here's the fighter ones and then here's the paladin ones in a later book right right? that just as a way to have the whole thing as a snapshot Mm -hmm. in time and then you don't end up having Uh, to release something later that retcons everything that you did piecemeal in between right right well, I mean, let's put it this way. You're going to have some power creep. Try to keep your power creep even across all classes. Right. right. Uh, and and just in general, try to keep the power creep to a minimum. But the kit books, the, those complete sure. books for players did not. <laughs> you know, they, they, they suffered yeah, a little bit from, you know, oh, that last book was really great. It gave all these really awesome uh, benefits and really cool, interesting things. Now we have to outdo ourselves again. Well, well, right, and so, so for me, coming along once all the books were actually out, I was never able to convince myself to buy 
uh, complete priests, and I think I never bought complete mm-hmm. wizards because the kits were boring. Yeah, I read them and they didn't grab my imagination right. at all, so I didn't buy them because for me it was all happening at the same mm-hmm. time, and I was sort of thinking, but all these other classes have so much more exciting of right. kits. That's terrible. And so it was just a weird, unbalanced space, right? Um, yeah, very interesting. So what else do you have to say about kits? Do you want to move on? <laughs> no, I, I think I'm, I think I'm yeah. about set on kits. I, I mean, the most interesting thing now to me in the year of Lord 2019 is how clear it is that they are cut from such of the, so much of the same cloth mm-hmm. as subclasses and how much that feels like what was missing uh, to me now uh, looking back on third edition and in, in different ways, mm-hmm. fourth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, that is, it is interesting. Um, I feel like, it's it's funny because the presentation was a little bit hamstrung in second edition because it already grouped the classes, right? So it made it feel like, yeah. okay, well, here's the warriors, and then you've got your subclass of fighter, ranger, whatever, whatever, right? So it already right, had yeah. this sort of subclass system kind of put placed upon it, and then putting the kits, slotting the kits in within those made it feel more complex maybe than it than, than say a fifth edition subclass, right? Fifth edition subclass just sound yep. it just feels like, oh yeah, every class every class has subclasses and that's just your way to specialize. And they're built right into the system. Whereas here it's like it's laying on top of the system where they already had a separation and a subclass kind of you know distribution. And so it you know Yeah, and and that kind of big rules graft Almost right. never goes well. Yeah. Uh, it's it's hard to think of a time when that's actually going along smoothly and just yeah. fine. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I think I think I'm ready to move on to um, non weapon okay. proficiencies, which I'm no more able to reliably say now than when we covered <laughs> skills. I just want you to know I haven't improved in this regard. Um, oh, but. Um, Ultimately, the only thing that's really changed here is that instead of a variable number of slots, things cost a variable number of points. And so you get a a small package of character points at the start of play, and that is the thing that grows level over level. So you get your character points plus your intelligence... um, Plus something from your intelligence. Uh, uh, it, it's got to do with your number of languages, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sure. Um, but um, you spend those on these non-weapon proficiencies. And if you have points left over from class building, which don't do that, <laughs> uh, you can buy more uh, more of these skills. Um, and it is at least basically the player's handbook list i'm not scouring the whole list to make sure but um yeah i'm i didn't do a one-to-one comparison but it's it i 
if I'm remembering correctly. It's pretty close. Right. Oh, oh, right. But the other, the other big thing, that's that's what it is. The other big thing is that um, it drops the, you know, uh, your ability score plus or minus a thing, right? And instead, it has an initial rating. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and so that's actually a a big reversion to um, Unearthed Arcana. Um, from first edition, where I think it's Earth Arcana and maybe also Oriental mm-hmm. Adventures, where uh, skills have an initial rating rather than being directly rigged off of your ability scores. Um, yeah. It, so, and... right. so, right. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so, so you have this initial rating that you can improve with additional uh, right. character points. You can tell um, how I feel about this. <laughs> oh, I'm, dude, it, it's yeah. it's messy. I I'm not trying to sell anyone on yeah. it. Yeah, well, knows. and and some of the it's, things you know with just, the, the initial ratings that you that you start out with, just you know, they're not all the same, right? And you know, yeah. oh, but 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 that's that's lovely. So uh, I, I'm not sure if you're looking at different printing or whatever, but on my page 89, there's a table 44 uh, ability modifiers to proficiency scores and nothing that I've seen yet in this book presages uh, third edition uh, quite as closely yeah. as this table, because uh, if your ability or sub ability is three, you have a minus five and it runs up to 18 plus mm-hmm. is a plus five. Well, <laughs> friends, it, the the numbers are a little bit different because it has uh, eight to thirteen is no modifier, but friends, this is showing us what the ability score chart of three point mm-hmm. is going to look like, and that's going to forever dominate the destiny of D and D thereafter. Uh, this this is just a little window into someone having a big idea. And realizing that they needed to drag their uh, their whole skill engine into some kind of standardization of of usability. Right. And and do you know what did that? The fact that they made none of these initial ratings make any sense. <laughs> oh, oh God, no! <laughs> you know they're Perish all they're the all thought. so no. weird and 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 they they start at different ratings and you know there's really no. Uh, rhyme or reason, at least looking at it now, there's really doesn't feel like there's a rhyme or reason yeah. to any of these. Um, and yep. I mean, yeah. And so a way, so I guess, yeah, my point is though, so a way to make that easier is when you're designing third edition, you ignore that, that rating crap and you say, but look, this table of ability modifiers actually is can be a unifying thing we can make this work across the board right right um uh, yeah the the whole engine is definitely not here Mm -hmm. but i do think that someone had a big idea and started to see it forward um but other than that this is very similar to what we've seen before each of these uh non non-weapon proficiencies is still fundamentally a mm-hmm. micro feat. Yeah. Uh, it, it's permission to do a thing. 
Um, most of them are outside of the combat pillar. They're much more social or exploration or crafting. Um, there's sort of this crypto crafting engine going on here. It doesn't work really well. Um, uh, at one point I dug through the complete fighters handbook to really try to come to grips with the weaponsmithing <laughs> rules in there. And, um, I had to buy a new computer cause I skeeted blood from the eyes all <laughs> over mine. So that was very sad. Yeah. It's a, it's a sad you day. know what else they do um, in here though, too? They, they add this, this concept of traits and yeah, I, I'm so excited about talking about this because <laughs> because this to me, so these pages to me are the ones that prove that they were getting pretty nervous about this yeah. White Wolf thing. And this is what they thought they could right. lift from White Wolf. And obviously I haven't talked to any of the, the good folks sure. who wrote yeah. this text. We have no special right? knowledge. Um, we're just talking about uh, from a fan it, perspective. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so, so the traits that, you know, um, let me read some of the traits for, um, for the, for the audience, allure, (laughs) artistic ability, uh, empathy, you know, uh, keen senses, keen smell, keen eyesight, keen hearing, uh, light sleeper and precise memory. I mean, so like some of these are, are very D and D, you know, uh, and some of them like climate sense and, you know, in, uh, you know, internal compass, like those things are not D and D ish. And I, I think you're right. I think they were yeah, getting a little scared of, of d- definitely less. So, and, and, you know, it's funny to me, um, this, this set of two charts of here, they're called traits and disadvantages of the games. We call them advantages mm-hmm. and disadvantages. This, like, I come from a, a whole lineage of LARPs where this is the most familiar thing in the world at, at, at character creation. Like you have on facing pages, here's your list of advantages, here's your list of disadvantages, and here are the number of points you can spend on each of them. And you know, I don't know that this book was influencing them. I think they were coming more from the White Wolf side because they were literally designed by the same people. <laughs> but um, it's it's really it's really interesting to see this here in D and D, um, and not really surviving, because these things are also going to sort of become feats, and sort of not. Um, I mean, I, I guess the thing I have to say about that is, if I'm being generous and I'm I'm giving them the extreme benefit of the doubt, I would say they added this because they actually like the ideas that that were presented by some of their competition and and that sure. they they really thought well maybe we could incorporate that you know maybe we should incorporate this sort of thing into the game because maybe that's part of what makes these other games that are our competitors so popular right now um but that's almost also so so there was my generous reading right but then then there's the non-generous yeah but that completely goes against how D and D worked at the time. 
and it also completely misunderstands what the fans of those games like exactly those exactly games. right like it's it's right right it's taking one thing and saying well maybe if we port this over and put it in D&D it'll pull that crowd in because maybe they're closet D&D fans and just if we just have this thing laying on the system that kind of sort of feels and sounds like this other stuff maybe they'll come over and they'll stay with D&D again and you know, I mean, that's also a very non-generous reading. I, I don't think they sat around and actually had that conversation necessarily. But, you know, there there was some like, well, what could we put in a disadvantages table? And, <laughs> and it, you know, I mean, I'm sure they said, well, hey, let's look at some other games that do have these disadvantages. And hence you get this list. Yep. It's so true. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it isn't a direction I would want to see the game uh, go now. I, I, it's not something. It's not a return I look to, mm-hmm. uh, really at all. Uh, but it's it's an interesting moment in in D anD. d And it's interesting to imagine what would have happened if the whole point by structure had become essential to to D and D in uh, in third edition and later, yeah. But um, would it ever not? Uh, and, and then you have disadvantages, which we sort of referenced but didn't get into. I mean, these are these are brutal. Um, I mean, you know, I have all kinds of design opinions mm-hmm. about things like getting paid character points in exchange for buying something called powerful enemy or hunted wanted that is not a punishment that is the game paying you in exchange for plot attention right just i'm just gonna say that uh, many is the game that has learned that to the, to its detriment well uh, but then there's ones like the phobias where it is a punishment right where it, it is a punishment, but is is it a punishment for the player or is it a punishment for the party? Well, and that's the thing, right? So, so just in terms of mechanics, uh, the way the phobia works is, um, let me find it here. Uh, so it says uh, you have this phobia, and the character who's constantly afraid of uh, one particular thing or category of things can have a real problem while adventuring. The phobia disadvantages are worth varying degrees of character points based on the frequency, blah, 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 blah. So you can have a moderate or severe you know, phobia. It says the effects are generally the same between moderate and severe. If the character is threatened by a violent encounter with the object of the phobia, they have to roll a wisdom slash willpower check. Because remember, a couple episodes ago, we talked about that whole wisdom willpower thing. Uh Yep. If the phobia is severe, if the if the check is successful, the character can function normally. But if the check fails, they have to flee or otherwise seek to avoid the encounter for one to six rounds. After this time, they don't. It doesn't end, and they get to come back. They have to check again, and if they fail again, yep. another one to six rounds. And it, you know, so basically it says the DM can modify this check for a phobic character, someone who hates enclosed spaces, but is being pursued by a dragon, for example, might overcome the phobia in favor of saving their life. Perhaps they get a plus five modifier to the check, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the list of phobias. You can uh, have a phobia from crowds, darkness, enclosed spaces, heights, magic, <laughs> monsters, snakes, spiders, 
undead, water, a pa- oh, that's it, water, a powerful enemy is a different category. So, okay, you're afraid of the dark. Every time you're outside with your party, you got to roll, and if you get afraid, you run away for six rounds. <laughs> yeah. Well, just like I'm just gonna say, uh, darkness and enclosed spaces and magic and monsters is a pretty good mm-hmm. summary of the campaign. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you read the title on on that front cover, but. <laughs> I would not buy those. <laughs> that is just some advice yeah. for old Uncle Brandis. Do not buy those. I just oh, feel Lord. like the game is so different if you are <laughs> if you're actually doing that by the rules, right? So, I mean, you know, it, it, more modern sensibilities might say, look, if you're playing D and D and you want to, you want your character to have a phobia, then you, you just act like your character has a phobia, right? You don't necessarily punish right. the entire party. <laughs> right, know? and you don't necessarily hang a bunch of mechanics on it so the character uh, can't dramatically overcome it right. or or grow out of it at an appropriate right. time. Here it's, well, I guess the dice decide whether or not we have a party wipe. Right. This is gonna be real fun, and and you run into the uh, the other situation that that actually fifth edition also has, which is, you know, madness tables and whatnot. You know, is it really appropriate to use a madness table on a PC? You know, you you need to make sure that your your players are okay with having a bout of madness p- forced upon them and having to role play that. I mean. I mean that's definitely a thing in in fifth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an optional rule for very good right. reason, uh, but it's it's also rules that they're they're touching on the plan with a little bit more these mm-hmm. days. Um, I think there's a little bit more uh, of a suggestion that you might want to consider looking over here and using these rules in the DMG. Yes, we know you haven't read the DMG. It's fine. <laughs> That's a different episode, Brandis. <laughs> uh, well, that 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 is a callback. That is that is a favor I'm doing Dan Dillon. Just just personally here on the air. He but, he was quite yeah. shocked that nobody reads the DMG. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but yeah. Um, so you know, you could see this these sort of mechanics in the second edition here, and you know, look, I, I think that if if a group decides they want to play a game a particular way and they're having fun, hey, I, who am I to judge that? I'm not, I'm not saying this is absolutely wrong, bad, bad, wrong, fun. You're not doing it right. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this sort of mechanic. It's really easy for it to sort of slide over into the unfun realm, and you just got to make sure you're having fun. And I think partly that's the reason why this stuff didn't stick around very long. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with that. Um, There's always going to be some kind of supplement, uh, especially once there's uh, an open gaming license, God help you, uh, (laughs) where someone brings it back in in one way or another. Right. Um, And, there are groups where it feels more okay and there are definitely people who are looking to bring some of that um, Squamous goodness mm-hmm. into their mm-hmm. games and, and make some Lovecraft right. happen. Um, and 
that's that's how it comes across in Lovecraftian right. games. You have a bout of madness, you, you see something horrible, and you just mm-hmm. lose it. Well, okay, right. But um, but to be fair, but, the expectation yeah. is set at the beginning, right? No, yeah. nobody comes to the table yeah. to play Call of Cthulhu and says. I'm going to be perfectly sane for this entire game. I, I have a problem with uh, mimicking insanity in, in the game. And I don't, you know, so I'm, I'm just going to play as though I'm never insane. Then you're not playing, you, you don't play Call of Cthulhu. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a very controversial area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and like I said, uh, I'm not you know I'm not trying to say absolutely there's there's a rule you cannot do this or you must do this. I'm, I'm, that's actually my point is basically these books are optional, right? And yep. So if these books are optional, you know we're sort of looking with you know 20 years of of you know we're looking 20 years later and saying. You know, I guess almost thirty years now, but we're and we're saying, you know, well, what was going on at the time? Well, here are these optional rules. Some of them were obviously used and optioned quite often, and some were not. It, yeah, and I mean, man, some of the optional rules that you can dig up in uh, in second edition, in particular, are straight up horrifying. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. He says, which is a way to say, <laughs> this is what we do that's, in this show. That's the cue. Uh, um, I'm going to get off on a tangent, even if I don't want to. S- yeah. Sit down and buckle yeah. your seatbelt. <laughs> but um, uh, I forget where it is exactly. I want to say it's in some fairly obscure uh, second edition Forgotten Realms material. Mm-hmm. But um, there, are, there are a lot of um, sexualities that are treated as mental disorders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just this was a real bad look at the time because yeah. I remember, you know, being of an age to read that content, and that was a bad look then, and it got a lot worse over mm-hmm. the years. It, it, it went from mm, no <laughs> to um, I'm not. I don't really want to tell people I know about this book because. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Um, sort of like, can we, can we put this in the vault right, right next to Song of the South? <laughs> just, just gonna say. Yeah. Too much. Too much. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah. I think we can probably move on to chapter seven, unless you have anything else you want to say. No, I'm I'm good with moving on. <laughs> okay. I think my feelings are so, pretty clear about the traits and disadvantages. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's it's not it's not the direction that yeah. we went with, though. A lot of those things do specifically show up. Oh, as for sure, yes, um, yes, they do. So, chapter seven is weapon proficiency and mastery. So, Sam, do you want to take us through this one? Uh, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'll, I got you. I, got I mean, you, you know, so it's, so it, again, it, it's it feels no, it's very similar to the non-weapon proficiencies, but uh, but has a lot more um, uh, direct mechanical combat issues with it. So anyway. Right. Uh, so 
there, there are a bunch of different types of weapons and weapon groups to buy proficiency with. Um, and then there's a bunch of just not necessary modifiers for non-proficiency as opposed to familiarity, uh, as opposed to full proficiency. Um, if you just want to see how many times I can say that word before it doesn't mean anything in my head anymore, we're getting pretty close. Um, and then there's uh, all the different sizes of shields, and that's fairly standard. And you get into fighting styles, and you can specialize in fighting styles for more bonuses. And this is just part of the fighter class in 5th edition. Yeah. Like, uh, this maps forward very well, though the one-handed weapon fighting style uh, listed here is exactly why people misread the dueling fighting style the first time they read it in the mm-hmm. fighter class. Um, because here, you do have to have an empty offhand. Unlike the dueling fighting style mm-hmm. in 5th edition. Um, there's also your weapon and shield style. Um, here it is uh, improving either your AC or your attack roll. Uh, depending on whether you want to use your shield defensively or offensively. And bothering to support offensive shield use is an -hmm. interesting move, since it's not functionally a shield bash, but it's neat. Um, And it references that there are uh, more detailed shield rules in combat and tactics. Um, And so this goes on for several more styles, and that's all very nice. And there's little bonuses to go with all of them. And then we get to some... Ranks of weapon mastery. Oh, wait, can we go back now? One? <laughs> I, d- oh, I do oh, just sure. want to mention horse yeah. archery. Sure. Um, you know, you can now uh, shoot with good accuracy while mounted. Um, that's okay. <laughs> so, look, I have opinions about this stuff. I have so many opinions about mm-hmm. horse archery. And if you'd asked me a few years ago, I would have let this go with not much of a comment. And then I read The Grand Strategy of the Byzantine Empire by Edward Lutwak. And now, by God, I have opinions. And they are based on exactly that book and not much else. <laughs> well, uh, please do share your opinions about horse archery. Oh, oh, I will. By the way, audience, this was not planned. <laughs> I did not know that my uh, esteemed co-host had such strong opinions about horse archery. So um, so the book is about uh, military strategy and uh, statecraft in the Byzantine Empire. Uh, it picks up uh, around 476 and runs through the end of the empire. And it explains how the uh, Byzantines uh, had this huge deficit in uh, mounted archery compared to the many, many, many tribes of Turkic peoples that they were fighting, and also the the Parthians and and so on, that they were fighting on every front. Um, And so they just got their butts handed to them decade after decade until they figured it out. And so the Byzantine Empire restructured its whole state to support a standing military of 
armored horse archers that could uh, reasonably compete with the uh, the Turkic peoples who were born in the saddle and did this with just right. their whole lives. And it's it's this sort of fascinating story of how um, it, it sort of runs all the way from Byzantine text structure through um, the schedule of a soldier's year and into whether the military would engage in a battle or not, because it was so hard to teach horse archery and keep the skill functional. Because so the, the important skill of horse archery is not actually mm-hmm. shooting while riding. That's relatively easy to teach. The important skill is shooting backward while riding. The famous okay. Parthian shot, which is the phrase mm-hmm. parting shot. Um, that skill is so unbelievably hard to teach that they couldn't send the soldiers home when it wasn't wartime. They'd lose the skill and have to learn it basically from new. And it took a year to get them a year of just constant drilling to get them you know, back to fighting form. And so they structured the whole empire around these facts. And I think that's fascinating. And I'm still not over how interesting that is. Okay. Um, So now you've had Mm -hmm. my little dissertation on that. I won't actually be mad if you cut all of this. (laughs) Oh, no way, man. I'm leaving it. It's in there. Uh, Well, here's my question then. Don't you think horse archery should be better than just a plus two? If the entire Byzantine I Empire mean, had to restructure their economy, their training programs, their military strategies. Well, okay, so this is one fighting style, but it doesn't take into account all of the other character points that the system is asking you to spend on weapon of choice, weapon expertise, weapon mm-hmm. specialization, uh, weapon mastery. God help you. Just so many different things to buy and so much to read to understand what you need to do to be as good with your weapon as the law allows. Um, but right. The idea is basically that you're, you're negating some penalty. You have less of a penalty. than Well, you otherwise right. But would. maybe, but so, uh, <laughs> so here's what, here's, here's, and, the, and that's it. That's all that. That's but, all right, but, but gets here's you. what horse archery gets you for this particular one. Okay. So, uh, the whole idea is if you specialize in horse archery, then you shoot with accuracy even while mounted. Okay, fine. I got it. The normal penalties for shooting from the saddle are reduced by two. Okay? So you, so let's say that's like a plus two. Okay? Then it says, uh, so you, you suffer no penalty. Okay, because apparently the penalty is a negative two, but now you're not suffering that negative two penalty, right? So you suffer no penalty, but only if the horse is moving up to half its normal speed. And if you are moving faster, now you suffer a negative two penalty, even with the horse archery fighting style. Right. Well, and I guess that's trying to tell us, hey, that Parthian <laughs> shot is actually hard, even <laughs> if you were as good at this as you can be. Yes. Like, it's only a fighting style. Like, if you had tiers of fighting styles, then yes, you should absolutely get rid of it at some yeah. higher level. 
but <laughs> I just yeah. But for once, they stopped only making you buy the thing once. It's yeah, it's a thing, I man. I don't I know. even know. Anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> But but right, you've got all these different levels of weapon specialization and mastery, and just looking over it, it's daunting. It's it's two facing pages of dense text, and it's hard to see what you actually need to do here. Um, and I mean, and then and then it gives the DM the option of uh, of allowing monsters to have weapon mastery. Well, well, okay, so I want to say one more thing about this. So weapon specialization. Um, start reading from the weapon specialization header and tell me whether you need to buy the weapon specialization uh, class ability when you're buying your, your class abilities to use uh, table 53. Because I don't know. If you're going to charge someone that many character points... I think that the least you can do is let them buy weapon specialization early and not wait until, I don't know, <laughs> fifth or, or seventh yeah. level. Well, look, if I'm a seventh level wizard, I'm not going to waste my time on a weapon specialization by then. Right. I agree. So why is this here? Because they wanted you know, to at least give like, you the option, right? I mean, that's that's the sure. thing, right? And if they left it out, people would have screamed, oh, well, how come my wizard can't get an extra weapon specialization? Maybe I have this one unique concept and I can't do it with your game now because you didn't put wizards on that table. So so basically, it's because of the proto-Pathfinder fans? That's fair. That's, that's I mean, extremely fair, actually. You know, I, you know, at this point in time, you know, think about it. So this actually came. I know we're reviewing it first, but it came out a month after Combat and Tactics. So the people yep. who are eating this up have already eaten up Combat and ta- Tactics, right? They already are looking at all of the tables of weapons in there and the special different, you know, feet typed, you know, bonuses and all that kind of stuff. And they want more of that. So that's what they're getting in this, right? Which is, it's kind of crazy because if they're already using the one in the combat and tactics books, they don't really need this one, <laughs> right? But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a thing, right? It's a thing. Well, like when we talk about, you know, D&D is built on its optional rules, mm-hmm. which, I mean, Lord knows it still is. Yeah. Um, this book is a fine example. It's called Player's Option, but that that is kind of not enough of a statement. You really kind of need a way to decide what some of these words mean. Mm-hmm. And that probably needs to be the GM. Yeah. Because uh, the, the chapters don't really mesh together all that well. And well, look, even even inside this chapter, it doesn't mesh well. I mean, it goes from a weapon specialization and, and weapon mastery to talking about types of wealth and and alternative forms of wealth, <laughs> land holdings and debts and titles and ways to spend and save money. Like, why is that not in its own chapter? That's extremely fair. It's still the chapter on weapon proficiency and mastery. Right. So sure. Yeah. Why not? 
and here's hey here's my section about entrepreneurialism and uh, and 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 uh, uh, the medieval form of debtorship called scootage or what is that? T scoot? I don't even know how to pronounce that. Yeah, uh, scootage. Scootage. Thank you. I could be wrong. I have no idea. Who knows? But but right, this is so. So what kills me about these two pages is that. Well, so well, three pages is that they're kind of awesome. They, they are need to be their but, own but, chapter, but, the, but, but they're kind of awesome. But then they're followed by encumbrance and movement, and we go right back into like you know strength and weapons and how much you could carry. It's just right it's, and trying to. It's hilarious. Well, well, and, and uh, a, a, a optional rule set that's going to um, make it into a lot of D and D. Uh, alikes right like not not quite clones but things that are very much in the D family this whole bulk rule well that is all over some um pathfinder 2 well so you got you got pathfinder 2 i think it's in dungeon world well it's okay. in a bunch of star games yeah but but i the reason i'm pointing it out is because pathfinder 2 it's <laughs> several of these things that are in here like when they talked about the two weapon fighting and the, the different uh disadvantages uh, for the second attack and all that that's yep. pathfinder 2 and then bulk the bulk rating and how to do things that's i mean it's not directly carried over obviously but Right. It's the idea, you know. Some things there's there there are not a lot of ways to talk about them, and if something works, they keep using the same types of words to yep. describe their mechanics that are just tweaked a little bit for a new edition of a game. Yep, it's pretty amazing to see that actually. Well, and there's this whole involved chart, table fifty five, of your base move against your encumbrance category and oh mercy so much nitpicking well I, and that's why like, i say to it's be, fine. to be fair it just to be fair the path, the pathfinder 2 bulk system is much streamlined and way easier to use it's <laughs> just to, you just, just to you say don't that. need uh five different grades of encumbrance no one needs that it's it's not it's not doing it yeah i, I mean in well, a video you say game, that. You say okay. that. Wait, wait, wait. You I do say, say that. that. I mean that. You say that, but then you're perfectly okay with strength 18 having 18, 1801, 1801 to 025, 18 to 26 to 50, 18, 50. You know, <laughs> you're okay with okay five, with, five categories I, of eight of 18. Hang on. Hang on. Me being okay with that is not how I remember that discussion going. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I accept that first edition and second edition did that. Yes. I did not say it was advisable. <laughs> I said, if I recall correctly, that it was about uh, rampant machismo at the table. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> I just love giving you a hard time. Yeah, it's super fair. I, Lord knows I deserve it. So, so these equipment tables are actually kind of cool too. Um, because it gets into uh, what kinds of gear would have been available at uh, in different times and places, mm-hmm. and that's I do, that's kind of like cool. This section, yeah, this section is uh, kind of neat. neat. Yeah. It's a little dense and hard to extract meaning from. In fairness, mm-hmm. but sure, uh, they try to get through it quickly, and I respect that. Um, yeah, because this is this is 
this is kind of one of those things where you know what if somebody's not interested in in dark ages weapons and what was available then then i hope you didn't spend two pages on it right like that's right yeah um and then you've got you know a what four page spread let's see how, how the master equipment goes. table oh six page spread yeah Page, nope, eight-page spread of <laughs> the master equipment table. Mm-hmm. Mercy, but it it also has you know mundane equipment, not just weapons and armor. And then at the end, it splits them up into special demi-human equipment. So you get dwarf, sure. dwarven equipment, and elven equipment, and halfling equipment, and gnomish equipment. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm laughing, but I actually I, I i i appreciate the idea of trying to give the demi humans, uh, the demi human races, a slightly different flavor uh, and culture based on the types of things they use. Well, right, and some of that idea if not these exact items mm-hmm. is going to come forward into third edition sure. in the form of the uh racial exotic weapons right. right right and i mean those were often sort of a mess but mm-hmm. they're an interesting mess right they're, they're sort of a beautiful mess right but i want you to do me a favor and i want you to look at the halfling equipment <laughs> yeah. So, so let me let me let me show you the read some of the elven equipment: elven bow, elven chain, elven harp, elven plate, fey wine, honey leather, right? And then you get to the halfling equipment: uh, cheese makers' equipment, sharp yeah. cheddar and mild cheddar cheese, door knockers, pipe that are self lighting, uh, utensils that are self operating: a carving knife, a cooking kettle, a ladling spoon, a pouring pitcher, a roll froster, and a teapot. I, I do just want to point out that I'm from the South, so I've probably been called honey leather at some point. <laughs> Too much information. It's it's just Southern manners, man. Any word can follow honey, honey lamb. Just it's all it's all yes, just yes. Waitresses being nice to you in diners. Uh-huh. That's that's what it is. And if they're being patronizing and and slightly condescending, it's honey child. That's not even necessarily condescending. It, it's all tone. It's all tone. It is tone. That's like, true. That's true. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do I digress? Oh, yes. But all also, right. I love the common magic items. Those are actually really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. Permanently uh, lighted gold piece. That's a nice one. Yep. <laughs> permanently attached horseshoe. I know, I saw that. <laughs> I, uh, I just, it, it just gets my back up thinking about all the GMs who uh. would who would spend your time having your horse throw a shoe. Uh, uh, right. Like, that's one of the things that I've never had happen to a character I was playing. Their hor- uh, I've never had a horse or my, you know, centauric character. Yeah throw a shoe and i think that's fine <laughs> yes <laughs> but it makes me laugh it does it does that's good <laughs> well because uh, you know somebody had to think that up and put right. it on this table <laughs> well well right and, and you know they were like well so we want you to brainstorm like a list of Maybe maybe five to ten, just common magic items, just to show that magic mm-hmm. is in the world, like right. things people sell. Yeah. And they got through 
probably a uh, healing salve and permanently loaded gold piece and poison added out. They're like, all right, that's three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because like I've written articles like this for, for insider mm-hmm. and I know how hard it is right. sometimes to be like, but I have 500 words left in my word count. And I'd like to get paid for all of them. So I guess I need something. <laughs> I think you should definitely talk uh, uh, about the permanently attached horseshoes at some point then. Right, clearly. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's let's move on. Next <laughs> next chapter. <laughs> okay. So this magic. one Yeah, so this we sort of referenced when we covered the wizard uh, yep. in the last episode, but this is new schools of magic and I'm I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, at least on the surface, this is rad as hell. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm all about it. Um, I think we're going to dig down into it, and I'm going to be blinking and staring in confusion, but um, just on its face, uh, adding in um, alchemy, geometry, uh, shadow, and song. Yeah, mm-hmm. I- I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, these are, these are really a lot more like subclasses mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Um, even than standard specializations because they keep giving you stuff. They keep giving you actual features after first level in exactly the way that core specializations in the player's handbook don't. <laughs> right. Right. And that's that's kind of awesome and fascinating by itself. Um you know, even just the um the way that these schools are described uh are are pretty cool. For example, the school of song. It's opposed by the schools of necromancy, greater divination, invocation, evocation. Then it says magical songs are much more much better suited to tasks of influence, change or summoning. All spells appearing yeah. in this list are considered to have neither somatic nor material components for uh, specialist song mages. Song wizards can cast these spells with nothing more than a verbal component. Um, that's just cool. I mean, yeah. it, it's very flavorful just in those three sentences. It tells you, you know, I mean, the schools had opposing schools and all that in second edition. So if you if you don't. If you're not familiar with that, don't worry about it. But it's just very cool. And then the school of shadow. It says um, these 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 wizard spells uh, these wizards derive their energy from extra planar connections, but spells of the school of shadow are exclusively tied to the demi plane of shadow. It's opposed by invocation, evocation, and abjuration, which rely on positive energy more so than the subtle pervasive power of shadow. The spells of the school of yep. shadow are listed uh, below. Blah blah blah. So I mean, you know. That's just cool. It just sounds cool. And it's not that the other sort of traditional schools of magic don't sound cool. They do, obviously. Magic users are awesome. But they just – these four things are really well done. Yep. Uh, now, the one that I want to uh, toss a little bit of attention on is actually the geometer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, – they're they're doing very much a mathematical wizardry thing here, right. and that's fine. I that, that's that's fine. What interests me about it is that 
when it shows up again in um, in third edition, they've just completely inverted the whole concept. Um, so here it is a very scholarly and uh, esoteric mm-hmm. sort of uh, sort of approach to wizardry in uh, in third edition. It's going to show up as a very raw, leyline-driven, transformative physical wizardry. Huh. And so the prohibited kits of Barbarian and Savage are the exact themes that fit it best in 3rd edition because they've just completely turned it on its head. Huh. And so, so that's kind of neat. It, here it says uh, the School of Geometry has uh, both diagrams that can be drawn on the target of the spell as well as geometrical designs that can be created through gestures. Often the spells of this school require unusually unusual writing implements. Those would be the material components for the spell, but generally there's no verbal component necessary. The school of yep. geometry is opposed by the schools of enchantment, charm, and illusion, which to me totally makes sense because this is a logic-driven, mathematical expression of using the powers of of magical systems in the world. Sure. So it's it's our sort of anti-charm. It's it's not the you know charm and illusion and 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 enchantment. Those things rely on beguiling the the target and charming them into you know it's a social thing but this is kind of this is the nerd of the wizard class right right which i love (laughs) i don't mean that in a bad way well and i also love how they can sort of be taken to um you know prefigure the um the rune priest Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way of fourth edition, yeah, which is one of the fourth edition classes that I find most fascinating because I saw so little of it in the edition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm always going to be into sort of calligraphy and uh, complicated magical diagrams as a, a core part of the wizard's aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And so leaning way into that here makes me real happy. Yeah. Um, I don't have a ton of opinions about its features because um, it's a lot of really dense text to get through. And <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm not really sort of digest, digesting it all right now, but it is pretty cool. Um, but uh, Awesome. But yeah, that... I think brings us to um, a the the last chapter of this book, uh, and one that since we aren't going to go effect by effect, we can cover quite quickly. Okay, and that chapter is for the listening audience. Psionics. I I need to have a like echo thing on my microphone <laughs> yeah yeah definitely definitely go in for some big effects there that'd be good um so yeah they've they've tried to um uh, sort of turn the whole deal of psionics around uh away from the complete psionics handbook and 
they, they've switched over to having uh, mental AC and uh, mental Thaco as the mm-hmm. the core dice loop of um, of psionics, which is fine. It looks real ugly on the page because MAC and M Thaco <laughs> are absolute yeah. disasters of acronyms. Masako, Masako. It's <laughs> horrible. Well, as if Thaco so were bad. were bad enough. <laughs> Lord, uh, and this this really leans into the yeah. awfulness. Sort of within that uh, change of the whole um, sort of mathematical structure of psionics, uh, we're back to exactly what it had been doing before. You've got your um, your five attacks against your five defenses for basic psionic combat. Um, uh, closed and open minds, uh, and uh, using sonic attacks to open a mind so that you can affect it more right. readily. Because the things you can actually do to a mind once you have opened it are pretty much one effect takedowns, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to have that be the whole class, so you've got to basically break your way through someone's defenses and then you can hit them with a one effect takedown. Um, But you've also, so, so you've got, you know, uh, Thaco and M Thaco uh, charts and saving throw charts for the silent assist class. Um, But, um, so, you know, that you talk about the five, so that the five attacks are mind thrust, ego whip, it insinuation, Psychic Crush and Psionic Blast. And then the defenses are Mind Blank, Thought Shield, Mental Barrier, Intellect Fortress, and Tower of Iron Will. And you use these psionic power points, or what, what do they call them? Uh, PSPs. PSPs. Um, and you can actually have, you know, you can have a, a duel of psionicists, one standing on one side of the room and one standing on the other. And while all the melee, you know, fighters and whatnot and, and clerics and all that are in, in the middle of the thick of it, the two psionicists can be on either end and they're having this battle of wills and you spend, you get a certain number of PSPs, right? And you can spend those to provide a, a psionic defense and you can attack your opponent. And it sounds really awesome. And I'm not sure that it was really awesome at the table. <laughs> well, so so probably not. Um, but a lot of classes, if you boil their combat loop all the yeah. way down, are yeah. not that great. Um, the the concept behind the attack versus defense thing is a uh, a rock paper scissors mm-hmm. game where. Uh, there are 25 different right. points on that grid um, because it's you know it's not rock paper scissors because they're the, the types of attacks are completely separate from the defenses it's just that you each mm-hmm. need one per round uh, you know I don't know that we ever had any straight up uh, psionicis duels in any of the games I had that did have psionics uh, but people mostly wanted wild talents rather than true psionics. Uh, because why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's just extra. Can I also uh, say that I think they made a 
a, a mistake with their example. So they they give this entire okay. like setup with the table and everything, and then they then they provide this example, and in this example, they describe. The, for example, the mind thrust attack, they describe it as a glowing sword of energy taking shape in uh, – right. so here, here's the example. Tilk of the Westwoods, a psionicist, decides to use the mind thrust attack against Nietzsche Nightmoon, also a psionicist. A glowing sword of energy takes shape in his psionic form's hand. The sword slashes out, but Nietzsche calls forth a thought shield, and a luminescent shield forms suddenly to block Tilk's attack. Then Nietzsche shapes her own attack, unleashing a psionicist blast, uh, psionic blast. Energy swells up from her nexus, forming the image of a glowing tiger. The claws of the beast slash through the maze of ruins. Like, they made it, they, they provided this example with this combat imagery that just sounds like melee combat. Well, sure, except that the idea is that it's all taking place in some kind of, uh, you know, mental space sure, between the two but, of them and they're they're sharing a right, visualization. But that's not what the example says. <laughs> the example says using this sure. is just like being in melee combat. Uh I mean when they say in his sonic form's hand, what they're that's what they're trying no, to No, no, I at. I understand, but to me it reads very much just like a melee combat encounter and I feel sure. like it's a yeah. missed opportunity to sort of explore the awesomeness that you could get with a psionic battle right and you know uh honestly it makes them sound like hackers in a right. mid-90s <laughs> movie to me i'm yes just just throwing that out there yes all they need to do is talk about the uh five and a quarter inch floppy disk and there you go <laughs> right yeah i'm down um, anyway that's really a nitpick i just feel like uh, of all the things you know they're trying to make this really cool in this system with these psionic points and these defenses and you kind of you have to try to guess what kind of attack they're going to do and you pick the right defense and and like that can be really dynamic but then they they describe it more like a melee battle and it just lost its for me personally it just kind of lost its its intrigue you know uh that's fair i think that um you're, you're doing pretty well if the rule book remembers to de- describe a an actual melee combat as interestingly as that which mostly it does <laughs> you you have a good point sir yes that is actually true you're right <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to be, be too unkind here but mm. yeah <laughs> Uh, what else about the psionicist? Anything in there that you particularly enjoy that you want to bring up? Or yeah, you know, just a reminder of how they haven't integrated this with the rest of the book. <laughs> um, just just mm-hmm. on that out there. Um, can you? Well, so uh, the non-weapon proficiency of the, proficiencies of the psionicist group are sold in slots, not character points. You can't buy different scientist abilities with character points. We don't know how many character points they get for weapon proficiencies. Just not covered. So so this chapter was not written in concert with any of the rest of this book. We can pretty much say that definitely. Here's my question for you. Did you play a lot of Dark Sun in the second edition days? 
I didn't, and I regret yeah. that. I'm just curious if uh, if if this kind of uh, you know because uh, they put out the the first Dark Sun box set, and then they did a revised edition, and I'm, I'm I can't remember the timing on that personally. I can't remember the timing on that. Um, so I was curious if the the second revised Dark Sun box set used this psionics rule set. It does, as I happen to know. Uh, I had a friend who was uh, getting rid of his whole uh, Dark Sun mm. collection, and he had, uh, I believe, pretty close to an exhaustive okay. Dark Sun collection from Second Ed. Um, and so he gave it to nice. me for a song. Nice. So, um, I, from the time I read through it, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it uses MTHECO and okay. the whole works. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what can you say? Not much. <laughs> um, so, so you get wild talents right. all over again. Um, and the whole approach to calculating wild talents is just precisely calculated to drive me as insane as possible. <laughs> yeah. It makes me so mad because it's such a case of, well, if you're already basically a demigod, then here's some extra crap. Yeah. Right. Right. Because if your ability scores are already through the friggin' roof and you're pretty much set for life, well, now we're going to make sure it's a little bit better. Come yeah. on. And, and you know, it, it doesn't make sure it's a little bit better, but it, it certainly tilts the odds in your favor. Um, so it, each uh, wisdom, con, or int score of 18 or better is uh, three percentage points uh, more likely that you are to have a wild talent. And then 17s are worth plus two each. 16s are worth plus one percent each. Uh I'm sort of perplexed about the character's 5th to 8th level, character's ninth level or higher adjustment. I sort of... I sort of don't know. <laughs> um, I guess it has to do with psychic surgery. But uh, this is a, a really lovely place where your character can become unplayable during mm -hmm. character creation. I think that's extremely good. Uh, and definitely the lesson we should have taken from original right. traveler <laughs> yes uh, except so, except so the thing is creating a character in classic traveler and then accidentally having it die after 15 minutes is way more fun than trying to parse through all this psionicist <laughs> crap oh i mean did i say that that's, out loud <laughs> that's <laughs> i'm not I'm not a fan of this psionicist in case you haven't haven't figured that out <laughs> go on um, yeah, this wild talent thing is uh, is is uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna say, Sam, how can you say something so controversial yet so brave? <laughs> it just, I, yeah, whatever. Because <laughs> it's it's almost I, I midnight. <laughs> you, you just go forward, picturing me saying that meme to you in radio. <laughs> It's happening. All right. So, so what gets me is it, like the other half of this badness is that 
uh, a really low roll is it gives you the moon and the stars, mm-hmm. and the the ridiculousness of what you can get is just out of control. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, telekinesis, death field. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not looking what that what that does. Look up what that does, but I don't care right now. <laughs> Teleport, sure. This is fine. Yeah. This is fine. A really bad roll. Again, this is at character creation. Um. Uh, if the result is 100, the character must save versus death at minus 5, or his wisdom, intelligence, and charisma scores are all permanently reduced to 3 points. Right. Cool. Which means... That's extremely yeah, good. Yeah, they're useless. <laughs> yeah. Which means you are getting nowhere, yeah. friend. Oh, that is horrible. And so, just... We can talk all day about how design aesthetics have changed, but... Man, anyone should have been able to look at the time and uh, look at it, you know, in 1995 and say, "This is not going to have the effects we want at the table." <laughs> yeah, I assume though that actually no one ever did roll 96 through 100 uh, over the course of mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of rolls because they just cheated. Yeah, that's yeah. what I they just rolled again, right? I, like. So, so readers and listeners out there, please, I want to know <laughs> if you, in second edition, rolled on the wild talent table and rolled a score of 96 to 100, did you, in fact, suffer that effect on your character, possibly ending their playability as a character forever? Or did you ignore that result and do something else? I want to know. Please tell me. Uh, I don't think we're going to get any responses to your question. <laughs> Please send all emails to Sam Dillon's email address. Uh, one thing I love about this is they, they name the major powers sciences and the minor powers devotions. Yep. Like, what yep. the? <laughs> Where did that? Like, uh, I, I know I mean, that, that has I mean, a, it absolutely a, comes from the yeah, complete sound. I was going to say it has a deeper root, but it's just it, it's 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 just funny for me to see it again. It's been a long time since I've looked at second edition psionics or third edition psionics. Yeah. So, so the rest of the book, uh, other than the appendix, uh, the, the the index and such, is just uh, psionic powers, and we don't need to go through each one. Right. Um, their effect has not substantially changed since the complete psionics handbook. They're just sort of rejiggering all the numbers to fit into uh, uh, power MAC and uh, such. They, um, to to their credit, they tried to finish up this section with a sort of overarching table of of all the powers in the appropriate groups and whatnot, uh, with their costs and their MAC. And then there's a nice big old appendix at the back of this book that has pretty much every table. In the book, reprinted. Yep. Um, which compiled tables? Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. Uh, I understand why they did it. Um, you know, I think. Well, you know. the the book's basic navigability for all of these tables is not great, right? Yeah. So compiling the tables is. A, a, a pretty fair use mm-hmm. of those last few pages, though. If skimming through these pages doesn't show you that maybe if the whole thing's a little too table driven, I don't know what would. <laughs> uh, how can you say something so controversial 
and just then move on. <laughs> well, um, because it's uh, get a little late out here, yeah. and we got to wrap this episode, man. So yes, it is. This is a, this is this is the longest one, but that's because this is the last skills and powers episode in the twelve days of D and D Christmas. So, what are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to jump into combat and tactics. Nice. And we're going to spend three episodes on that. And then we're going to yep. spend three episodes on the third book, which is Spells and Magic. And yep. then we're going to spend three episodes on the DM's option, High Level Campaign. That is the one I'm most excited about. All right, sir. Uh, let's wrap this up. It's been an hour and something minutes. Uh, so where can people find you on the internet? I write at brandisstoddard.com. I write, also write for tribality.com. You can find me on Twitter at brandisstoddard. And uh, I also have a Patreon uh, under the same name. Perfect. Uh, well, I am Sam Dillon, and you can find me at rpgmusings.com, or you can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel. And you can also find me on D&D Brief, where I run a campaign that meets about twice a month and uh, we play the game for a couple of hours, and then we talk about the game. I hope people who are watching that are enjoying it, because it's a heck of a lot of fun. Look, mate. Three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it, they won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. And that one doesn't even make sense, because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? Or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies? Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullsplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow and use the coupon code Tomeshow with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends.